dive in, I like to start with something funny. And my brother called me, Wayman, this week on Friday. And he said, Jared, I called you because I have to tell you a story. He said, I just met um, a lady that I hadn't seen for years. She's 81 years old, a pastor's wife. And when I saw her, she told me a story about you. I'm like, well, what was the story? And he said, well, you know, this made me think of you because you always tell a joke at the beginning of your sermon. And she said that many years ago when you were six years old, her husband, who was a pastor, was at the church. And you come walking up to him at the end of service and you said, hey, pastor, can I tell you a joke? And so this was the joke you told. She told the story. She said, you walked up to him and said, here's how the joke goes. There was this woman and she was in her house and the doorbell rang. She went to the door, she opened it up. And there in front of her was a man with a telegram. She said, oh, you have a telegram from me? And he says, yes, ma'am. She goes, oh, you know what? I'm so excited. Today is my birthday. So um, will you sing it to me? And he's like, um, I don't know if that's really appropriate to sing the, the, this to you. She said, no, you don't understand. Today's my birthday. And I'm getting a telegram, so just sing it to me. And so he goes, okay. And so the lady who's telling the story said, you looked up at my husband and you went like this. Dun, 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 dun. Your sister Rose is dead. Your sister Rose is dead. That was the joke. 41 years later, and they haven't gotten any better. That, that's the, the problem. Some of you are like, Pastor, I have to endure that joke. Well, it's been going on for 47, 48 years. <laughs> uh, some of you don't get the joke still. It was bad news, and he sang the bad news. You, you, you all with me? Okay, just... All right, so I've been doing it for a long time. Aren't you glad that God has grace for all of us? So why don't you stand to your feet as we read our passage today. We're in a series called No Man Left Behind. And I want to show you the verse where basically that's what, what God says that his heart is. His heart is that no one will be left behind. Let's read this passage in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here's what it says. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You see, Jesus was talking last week. We learned about Zacchaeus. And um, basically his heart at the end of that story was this. I came so that no one is left behind. And today I want to just pray a prayer over all of us as we start this day. Will you open your hearts right now? Lord, today we come with grateful hearts for your goodness for your mercy. I pray that you'd speak through this message to each one of us and that we would have your heart and that is that nobody would be left behind. So anoint our hearts to receive it. Anoint my mouth to speak it. Lord, stir up the heart of an evangelist to realize that we've been called to do as you've done, to go after the lost in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. You may be seated today. Last week, we talked about Zacchaeus and how that Jesus didn't leave him behind. He said, come down from that tree, and his house was saved, his family was saved. And this week, we're going to tell another story about a Samaritan and how he left no man behind. Let me set the story up for you. We're going to read it in a second. If you have a Bible and you want to go with me, it's found in Luke chapter 10. And uh, in this story, what happens in the beginning is a, a, a person who is an expert in the law, a scribe, he came to Jesus and he says to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Well, Jesus said, how do you read the scriptures? And the man said, well, if you sum it all up, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. And then Jesus says, you've answered wisely. Go and do this. And then the man said, well, wait a minute. Who's my neighbor? Now, what was this all about? Well, here's the bottom line. is The man was trying to kind of trick Jesus, trying to, to and he, here's really what he was saying. He was saying, listen, I know we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love others, but are we really supposed to love everybody? So why don't you define, help me to figure out who I can leave behind, who I don't have to love. So who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story. It's found in Luke chapter 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers. So he's on his way there, and some robbers attack him. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring um, on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You see, there were two people in the story who left the man behind, and then there was one man in the story who wouldn't leave the man behind. And Jesus kind of equated this to the kind of love, the kind of mentality that we're to have. So what I want to do today is I'm going to take this story and I want to give you two ideas or mentalities that a person who will not leave anyone behind has. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you the first one. If you're someone who doesn't leave anyone behind, here's your mentality. It's this. I will make no excuses. I will not make excuses. You see, someone who leaves no one behind says, I'm not going to make excuses. Now, let me just stop and say, how many of you here have ever made an excuse or made excuses? Some of you made an excuse not to raise your hand right now, <laughs> so you proved my point. You... I was thinking about it. We all do, right? Have you ever had kids or you told them to do something and they didn't, and then when you ask, why didn't you, and they have some crazy excuse? It makes me think of school. How many, in, when you were in school, you didn't do your homework and you made an excuse? Anybody ever heard that the dog ate my homework excuse? Well, I was thinking about it, and there actually um, are several excuses, and I found, I think, the three most creative excuses that people make for not doing their homework. Here's number three. Number three, why didn't you do your homework? I didn't do it, teacher, because I didn't want the other kids in class to look bad. That's pretty creative. Uh, here's number two, the second best reason I thought why not to do your homework. Excuse number two was, why didn't you do your homework? Well, um, I didn't do my homework, teacher, because um, I, I lost it while fighting a student who said you weren't the best teacher on campus. <laughs> Come on, that was a pretty creative excuse. And the number one excuse that I thought was the best was, why didn't you do your homework? I didn't do my homework because I was at a rally all night last night for teachers who need better pay. <laughs> it's interesting in the story is that the priest and the Levite 
must have come up with an excuse as to why they didn't stop and help the man. And as I thought about that, I realized that in the story, I think there is, I kind of dug into it and did a little research, there were some excuses that made sense to me of what was in their head. Because here's the bottom line. Many of us are just like the priest and the Levite. We'll walk by and not help, and here's why. Not because we're bad people, not because we don't love God, but because we've come up with an excuse. We're in a season of Easter, the greatest time. Do you know that the reason that most people don't go to church, it's been statistically proven, not because they don't want to go to church, but because no one ever asked them. So I want to talk about the excuses. The person who doesn't leave anybody behind says, I won't make any excuses. But here are the excuses from the story that I think pop up that maybe you and I have had whispered in our ear. Here's the first excuse. You want to hear some excuses? Here's excuse number one. Well, they did it to themselves. They're in this situation because they did it to themselves. They're going through a divorce because they did it to themselves. They're struggling financially because they did it to themselves. It's interesting because in this passage, Jesus tells us something that gives us a little insight. And the first thing that he tells us is that the man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, here's what you need to know, that historically, if you go and look in the, at the geography of, in the terrain of this area, Jerusalem was 3,600 feet above Jericho. And it was only a 16 to 20, minute, 20 mile walk or travel. So and imagine you're going from... 2,300 feet down to 1,300 feet below sea level in a matter of a short number of miles. So this was a steep hill and road. It had a lot of rocks and terrain, a lot of areas where, you know, when you're going up or downhill that you go like this and then you'll turn and you'll come and go right back like this. So there were lots of areas where robbers and thieves could hide to attack someone on this road. In fact, in the 5th century, this road was called the Bloody Way. And even as late as the 19th century, we know that people actually paid sheiks in that region safe money or safety money so that they could get from Jerusalem to Jericho without being attacked. The point I'm making is that when these priests walked up and saw the man laying there, this is most likely what went through their head. Sir, you're in this bad place because you did it to yourself. You're carrying all of these you know, things, these goods, you should have had people with you. You shouldn't have gone alone. You should have brought a, a security guard with you, a, a bodyguard with you. You didn't make the right decisions, so you did this to yourself. How many times do you and I, we see someone who's in pain, who's hurting and broken, and the reason we don't help them, we don't bring them to church is, well, you made your bed, so you're going to have to lie in it. You made the decision, so you're just experiencing the principles of the Bible. You're going to reap what you sow. What I love about the passage is that Jesus talks about the fact that he, yes, he made a bad decision. He got attacked, but then it goes on to say that, that it was robbers that hurt him. Because here's the point. Is the reality is, is that Jesus is saying, don't focus on the bad decision. Focus on the fact that there's an enemy, and the reason he's hurting is because of the enemy. Can I stop and tell you there is an enemy? The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. 
There is an enemy who wants to rob, steal, and he wants to destroy your life. And the bottom line is there are people that have made bad decisions, but the enemy has come in and taken advantage of their bad decisions. And because of that, now they're hurting. Because here's the point. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Reminds me of when um, I was a kid. My parents, they had, were directors of the youth programs for a denomination, and so they had to run a camp every summer. And we would go to that camp. They would always be busy serving and doing, and so us kids would run around and have fun. But one of the things that we knew we were not supposed to do is to go out into the woods by ourselves. How many know that when you're told you can't do something as a child, you want to do it more? And so, of course, while, while they were busy doing their thing, a friend of mine and I went out into the woods, and we found this hill made of dirt that looked like, it literally kind of looked like a, 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 a horse. And so we were like, oh, how cool is that? And we run over, and I jumped on the, the, the dirt, and I was like acting like I was riding, and we're, we're joking around. But what we didn't realize is that this was actually a beehive. And so I jump on top of the, the beehive, not knowing it's a beehive, and I'm like, yeah, woo, ah, like that. And suddenly, boom, bees come out everywhere, and uh, they attack me and my friend. And I get stung all over the place. I got stung on the eyeball. And as I'm running back, and I'm like, ah, I mean, it was like a TV movie or something, right, with the Three Stooges. I'm running out, and I come running out of the woods, and, and we're screaming. And my parents heard us, and they ran over. When they saw us, my mom didn't look at me and go, what did you do? Did you go out into the woods? You made a bad decision. You're going to have a timeout. Over there, timeout. I'll tell you when you can get up. No, she didn't care about that because what she cared about is even though I made a bad decision, I had been attacked by the enemy. And so her heart was, how can I bring healing to you rather than punish you because of what you've done? The point at the beginning of the story is that sometimes we have this excuse running in our mind to say, well, I don't have to love them because they don't deserve it. But Jesus never said, love those who deserve it. He said, love your neighbor. And he even went, took it an extra step and he said, and love your enemy. The point I'm making is when you feel that excuse rise up in you that says, well, I shouldn't really pray for them. I shouldn't bring them to church. You know, I really shouldn't give them any time because you know what? They've done what they've done. Instead of allowing that excuse to rise up in your heart, instead remember that the enemy has ravaged them and they're hurting because the enemy has taken advantage of them. Focus on the pain because there is an enemy that is trying to take them out. Don't let an excuse stop you from leaving someone behind. Let me give you another excuse. How about this one? It's too dangerous. You know, on the road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho, one of the things that would happen is robbers would actually act like they were wounded as a ploy to draw you in. And when you came up to help them, their friends would jump out from behind the bushes and rocks and then attack you. So the priest, when he got there, or the Levite, when they got there, it made sense. Because, you know, our, our, our excuses, they all make sense. And so we can convince ourselves of our excuses. So he walks up and he goes, you know, I'd like to help this person, but he might not really be hurting. And, you know, so I'm not going to do that. I'm, 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 I, because it's a ploy. It's too dangerous. What's the liability? What's my insurance going to cover? And sometimes we end up not helping people. Because the enemy has allowed us to think about 
the ramifications on us. Because it's not about us. It's about the need. Come on, somebody. Maybe that excuse has been something you've used. It's too dangerous. How about this one? Here's another excuse. I have something more important to do. Now, when you read this story, there's some pretty cool stuff here that if you dive into it and you understand the culture of the day and the laws at the time, I think this is one of the big ones. Because here's what happens. The, the priest shows up and he sees this man lying there about to die. And here's probably what went through his mind. I'm pretty sure this is what went through his mind. You know, I would like to help him. I feel for him. But here's the thing. I have some really important stuff to do. And here's the deal. According to the laws, as a priest, if I try to help him and he dies, I've now touched a dead person. And by touching a dead person, a dead person is unclean. And so therefore, now I've become unclean. And when I become unclean, I have to go through a seven-day quarantine process of being purified so I'm not unclean. Therefore, I'm not able to minister and do the thing that God wants me to do because I'm taking a risk on helping somebody. You see, I can't help you because I have something more important to do. I think a lot of us have been there, huh? Well, I'd like to help you, but man, I've got so much going on. And, you know, I'm called to be the priest of my home. And so I've got to take care of my family. And I, you know, on Easter, there's a, I'm helping at the church. And I don't know that I could bring someone. And, you know, I've got to serve. I'm helping. And sometimes we get so, in fact, it reminds me of a story. There's a, a, a guy in our church who um, sometimes we're, we're together and we'll work out and stuff. And, and so he was telling me one time when we were working out, he said, you know, pastor, during this 21 days of fasting and prayer, you've been doing that early morning prayer thing. And by the way, we still have that going on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. And we'll have people gather up and we'll pray. He said, I, I'm, he said, this happened to me this week. He said, you know, I've been praying. And as I've been in this prayer thing, I've been like, Lord, help me to be sensitive to you and hear your voice. And, and, you know, and he said, and so the other day, it was early in the morning. I was on my way to prayer. And as I'm on my way to prayer, I'm driving up the old road. And I see a guy on the side of the road with a flat tire. He said, I drove by, and as I drove by, I had that little conviction moment. Come on, anybody ever had that? And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to stop and help him. But I'm thinking, no, 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 Pastor, I, I, God, I've got to get to church because I'm going to pray. I've got something more important to do. And he said, it, just, it wouldn't go away, and I kept driving. And the farther I drove, the worse it got. Until I drive into the church parking lot, I park, and I'm like, Ah, and he gets back in the car and drives back and goes back. He said, I come driving up. I pull up behind the guy and said, I walk up. And as I walk up, Pastor, the guy turns around. He's frustrated, working as fast as he can. And it's one of our worship pastors from Higher Vision Church. And I said, hey, are you okay? What happened? And he said, he looks at me. It was, I think it was Sean Lochier. And he said, I looked at him and said, man, thank you so much for stopping. I'm supposed to be leading worship at the prayer meeting had higher vision this morning. How many times do we go right by a Zacchaeus in the tree? Do we go right by someone hurting because we've allowed the excuse, well, I've got something more important to do. What are the excuses that the enemy has used in your life to stop you from helping those in need, from leaving people behind. You know, another one is this, and that is, it's, I'm not equipped for this. How can I help them? I'm not a paramedic. What am I supposed to do? Guys, we've got some ringing going on on the lower end of the 
So if you take a little of that low out, probably in the 80 to 120 dB range. Sorry, guys, we're having a little conversation here. <laughs> and so what happens is, is we go by because we think, well, how can I really help them? What am I supposed to do? I, I'm not a doctor. But what I love in this story is that Jesus then begins to talk about the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritan said this. He said, I'm not going to use any excuses. Even though I don't feel like I'm equipped, even though I've got more important things to do, I'm not going to walk by and leave someone behind. And so that's what happens. He decides to help because he was filled with compassion. And so if you read the story, let's go back and take a look real quick because here's what it says. It says, he went to the, to the man and he bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, looking after him, and he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, why do I, let's leave this verse up. Why did I bring that verse up? Because here's the thing. I think this man could have felt just like you and I do. The excuses we have, which are, how am I going to help someone? Pastor, I don't know the Bible very well. What am I going to tell them when they have a question? I don't, I don't really know. I, what do I have? But can I tell you what I love about this story is the man said, you know what? Whether I have all the answers or not, I'm going to use what I have. And here's the cool thing. As soon as he started to help, he realized that he had a lot of things that he'd been given that he could use to help someone else. He grabs some wine. He said, well, let's see. I don't know exactly what to do, but wait a minute. Wine is like alcohol. Alcohol will help clean out the wounds. So he takes a little wine and he pours it in to clean it out. And then he's like, well, I, that's right. I got some oil. And, you know, you usually use that stuff. What is it? The, the stuff you put on there that's kind of oily to kind of wash over it and to soothe it. And so he grabs some oil and he pours some oil. And he's like, well, I don't have a, a, a medical kit, but I've got an old shirt. And I'll rip that up and I can bandage him up. And so he used what he had. And the point I want to make is that don't let the enemy lie to you with an excuse that, I don't have anything to give because here's the thing. You have something to give. You have an oil. It's called the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. You've experienced the wine, the blood of Jesus that has cleansed and washed you. You have something to give. There's something inside of you. Not only did he have a little oil and a little wine, but the Bible says if you read the story that he also, he, he had a good reputation. What are you talking about? He had good credit. Some of you are like, well, you just got rid of me because I don't have very good credit, Pastor Jared. I'm... He went to the inn, and he said, I'm going to leave, so you guys keep taking care of him, and if you need more, I'll come back and pay you, and they let him do it because he had a good reputation. Maybe the thing God has given you is a good reputation. And your good reputation is the ability to be able to speak life to someone or encourage someone or praise someone because they've seen your life and they've seen what God's done for you. Maybe the trials and tests you've gone through, but yet you've hung in there and you've been faithful is the very thing that God will use. You've been given something, you are qualified. God can use you. You've got a little wine. You've got a little oil. You've got a good reputation. You know the other thing he had? He had a donkey. Let me say it again. He had a donkey. <laughs> Little Shrek there. In other words, God had given him something that was a vehicle to get someone to a place where they could find healing. 
to me like, well, I don't have a donkey. What do you mean? Well, maybe you have a Honda. <laughs> Reminds me of a story of my parents when they were pastoring a little church up in northern Michigan. And there was this family that had two girls. The family weren't believers, but somehow the girls were invited to some children's event we did, and when they came, they got saved. The challenge was is they lived 17 miles one way out into the sticks, and there was nobody that lived near them. So after they'd made a decision to serve Jesus, my parents, my mom or my dad, for four years every Sunday, would get up extra early, wake one of us up, because we had to go with them because they weren't going to go by themselves, especially my dad. And every week we would ride in the car for an hour, 30 minutes one way and 30 minutes back, twice a day to use our donkey to get some girls to a place where they could find healing. Just recently, one of those girls found my mom on Facebook and messaged her and told her how much they were thankful for them not leaving them behind. And now they're involved serving in ministry and their kids are saved serving in ministry. You have something God has given you Maybe there's people that you know that may not be able to get here, but you could get them here on Easter Sunday. What is the vehicle? Maybe for you the vehicle is generosity. God's blessed you with resources to help someone in need. I'm telling you that we've been given things that God can use, so don't let the devil rob you of the blessing of helping someone because you bought into excuse. Because someone who leaves no one behind says, I will make no excuses, but I will use what God has given me. The last thing that he had, and here's what he had, is he had an inn. Now, it wasn't the Holiday Inn. It didn't have a pool and, you know, continental breakfast with those waffle things that you do. Can I tell you something about an inn in those days? What's really interesting, I, I discovered, is that inns in those days weren't just placed somewhere for financial gain. Sometimes an inn was strategically placed as a place of safety and refuge for people that were in a dangerous place. So what it tells us is that the Samaritan had been this way before, enough that he'd been to the inn where he had established good credit, a good reputation. So when he saw the man, one of the things he realized he had was a way to get the man to an inn, to a place where he could find rest and he could be healed. Can I stop and tell you, you may feel like you have nothing, but I want to tell you something, you have an inn. It's called Higher Vision Suites. You have a place where the presence of the Lord is so that as they come, they can be healed, they can find rest, they can find peace. There is an inn in your area that God has revealed to you. And maybe what God is wanting you to do is rather than using excuses, he's wanting to use you to say, I'm not going to leave anyone behind. I'm going to use whatever influence I have. Maybe that vehicle that I'm going to use as a touch card. Maybe it's the friendship and the, the favor they owe me. I'm going to call in that favor because I know they need to be a church.
church. Maybe it's I'm going to go pick them up, but I'm not going to leave anyone behind because God has given me something. He's given me a place of healing, and if I can just get them there. See, you don't have to worry about the miracle. All you got to worry about is getting them to the place where the miracle takes place. Now, God can use you to pray, and God can use you to share the love of Christ. But I want to tell you, there is something awesome about a place where the presence of the Lord is that prepares a heart where miracles can take place. See, the bottom line is, someone who leaves no one behind says, I will make no excuses. Can I give you the second attitude or mentality of someone who leaves no one behind? Here's what it is. I will get out of my comfort zone. I will get out of my comfort zone. Let me show you one verse, which is interesting. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 33. So the priest goes by, the Levite goes by, and then it says, but a Samaritan, everybody say that word with me, a Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. So he was on a journey. He was traveling, and he sees this man, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Let me talk to you a little bit about the Samaritan. Racism is not something that just exists today. Racism has existed through history. And in Israel at that time, one of the worst examples of racism was the way that Jewish people felt about Samaritans. They would spit on them. They would call them names. They would not eat with them. They would not have friendship with them. Some, there's historical evidence that could even be attacked and hurt. What's interesting is this Samaritan... He was out of his comfort zone. He wasn't in Samaria. He was in Jerusalem, in Israel. He wasn't in his home where it's safe. He wasn't in his home where he had friends and people believed in him. He got out of his comfort zone, and it was when he stepped out of his comfort zone that God was able to use him to save a life. And I want to tell you, as long as you allow the enemy to keep you in your comfort zone, you're going to miss people that are in trees. You're going to miss people that are lying on the side of the road. You're going to miss people that God wants to use you to help get them to a place of healing. But you'll never get them there as long as you stay in your comfort zone. Maybe for you, inviting someone with a touch card is getting outside your comfort zone. Maybe for you, doing a circle around the city is getting outside your comfort zone. You know, there's a way that you can get outside of your comfort zone at Easter by bringing people to church. But you know, you can literally get outside of your comfort zone by doing what the Samaritan did, and that's leave your country to go to another one. We're excited this year. We've got several missions trips going. We have our, our youth ministries are taking two teams, one to Ireland and one to Brazil. We also have Pastor James and our men's ministry going to Haiti in the summer. And if you're interested, talk with Pastor James. And uh, they're going to go there and they're going to help orphans through construction teams. They're going to rebuild places and orphanages and houses of worship. They're going to have medical teams minister to people and the kids. They're going to have ministry teams ministering to the children. You can get outside of your comfort zone and you can be like a Samaritan and go to another nation and help bring someone a, a place of healing, to a place of healing. Not only that, you can do crazy things like um, my, my son was telling me about a group of kids here in the church. And uh, they're doing this thing called Ride for Freedom. And these are some of our interns, some of our students. And they're doing a thing this summer where they're going to ride a bicycle 
from the coast in Oregon all the way to the coast in New York. In 60 days, they're going to go over 3,000 miles. Some of you are like, well, that's definitely out of their comfort zone. If you've ever been on a bike for more than an hour, you know that it's not a comfort zone. Come on. Because those little seats are small. Come on, somebody say amen, right? Why are they doing it? Well, here's the reason they're doing it. Not because they just want to do something crazy, but because they feel like God's called them to make a difference. And so they're trying to help people that are caught up in human sex trafficking. So they've linked with the ministry. They're doing a thing called rideforfreedom.company. If you want to know, you can do rideforfreedom.co at gmail.com. And they're trying to raise $40,000 to get people to pledge as they ride across the nation. And as they do it, every $1,000 they raise will release and help one person get free from sex trafficking. So they're going to try to save 40 people over the course of 30 days. They're getting out of their comfort zone. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? I want to end with a verse and a story. I was talking to our, we were having a dinner with the family this last week, and somehow in the middle of the dinner, my son told a story. And when he told this story, I'm like, son, can I use that story on Sunday? And he said, sure, Dad. I go, because it, it just goes along with what I'm talking about, about not making excuses, about not saying, well, they deserve it. It's, it's their fault about getting out of your comfort zone. He said, Dad, he goes, um, recently I was at school at Azusa Pacific University, and I'd finished a class, and so I went to study at one of the coffee shops off campus, and when I got there, I got out of my car. Suddenly this homeless man comes walking up behind me with a cart. He said his hair was all gone. He just had a few strands in the back. He was you know, dirty and, and smelled and had a cart that had some things in it. And the man looked at me, he said, and said, hey, um, young man, could, could you give me some money? Would you be willing to give me some money? I'm needing to get some, some groceries and things. And uh, so Tanner said, I looked at him, I said, you know what, sir, I'm so sorry, but I don't have any cash on me. But, you know, I do have my card. So if you're hungry or if you need something, let's, I'll, I'll help you. He said, what do you need? And the man said, well, you know, honestly, if, if that's the case, what I need most right now is a shirt. So there happened to be a little store there that was selling clothing. And so Tanner said, well, let's go and let's buy your shirt. And he said, Dad, we walked in. He parked his little cart and we walked in. And we walked in. Everybody in that place started looking at him. Like, why are you in here? He said, and then they started looking at me. Like, why are you with him? He said, so I... You know, said, hey, come on, let's go. And I took him over and he said, we started talking about what he needed and figured that probably a dark colored shirt would be the best thing to, to buy because, you know, being in his condition, dark colors don't show dirt and stains as much. And so he said, we went and he found this black shirt. It was a Nike shirt and it was, it was really nice. And he said, when he looked at it, he said, you know, I don't, I don't think I should have you buy me this shirt. This one's too expensive. What if you buy me this one? So Tanner said, no, you could buy the black one. He wouldn't do it. He said, no, I'm going to take the blue one because the blue one's less expensive. So he bought him the blue shirt. They bought the shirt, and they came back outside. And when they came back outside, they started to talk a little bit. And, and then he looks at Tanner, and he says, I want to say thank you for, for sharing and helping me. Can I pray for you? Tanner says, sure, sure you can pray for me. And they started to talk for a minute, and he said, so what's your story? And, and 
because the man had asked him, well, you know, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm a student at APU. And he said, well, you know, I used to be a student at APU, but it was called Azusa Pacific College back then. Tanner said, well, what, what were you going to do? He said, well, I felt called to be a pastor. He said, things didn't go as planned, but you know what? Now I'm pastoring on the street, trying to help people that are hurting my community. And so he began to pray over my son. When he was done praying, then Tanner reached over to put his arm around him and pray over him. And the man said, no, 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 because he was embarrassed because he smelled and was dirty. Tanner said, no, don't worry about it. Come here. And he put his arm around him. He began to pray over him. You know, how many times do we say, you got yourself into this mess. You probably deserve to be where you are. You're just going to take this money and buy drugs. You know what? You're not responsible for what someone does with your generosity. You're just responsible to be generous. You're not responsible to, to make someone not walk down a, a, a dangerous road. You're just responsible to say, I, I know a place where you can find healing. So my question is, what's been your excuse? If most people don't go to church because no one invited them, where are the Samaritans? God, no more excuses. Lord, at least at higher vision. I can't speak for every church, but God, here, no more excuses. Lord, let us be people who get out of our comfort zone. Lord, there's nothing more important to do. This is the most important thing to do. There's a verse in the Bible, and I'll end with this. It says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Thank you.